Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Refold Podcast. Uh, my name is Clayton, also known as George Pig, and I manage the community here at Refold. Today's guest is Gredwin, or Edwin, an OG, a mod from back in the MIA days, and uh, a certified para-para speaker of Japanese. Okay, so Gredwin, or Edwin, I should say, uh, it's wonderful to have you on. Uh, and that, this is actually our first time talking face to face after two years of knowing each other. Three, three, Probably maybe three. something like that. All right. And do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? You're sort of an OG. You're no longer part of the immersion learning community, but uh, you predate me even. So who are you? What is your relationship with sort of the age at Mia refold community? Sure. Uh, so first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, let's see. I think like late 2019, I joined Matt's server, uh, which I think at that point it was already MIA. I keep thinking it's in action, but it's a mass immersion approach. Um, yeah, I, I think actually Matt might have called it MIA. Uh, I'm guilty of calling it Mia, but when I call it Mia, people in the comments always call it's it. For sure it's for sure MIA. It's for sure MIA. It's for sure MIA. When I say Mia, I get hate in the comments. They're like, is he a goober? And the answer is yes, I am a goober. Hey, you don't need to hate him for that, guys. He doesn't know any better. Uh, so it was MIA. At that point, I was just immersing. I was just a member. Um, a very... People might remember me as a very vocal uh, keyboard warrior sort of uh, member. I just communicated all the time. Um, yeah, and I don't know, like, I guess six months later, a year later, I became a mod. Uh, and I continued to be uh, very vocal. Before I was even a mod, or any time I'm not a mod, anyway, I'm I'm very uh, moderating from the backseat, backseat moderating. So, yeah, I, that I mean, I haven't even introduced myself. So I'm Edwan. Most people know me as Gred. Uh, in Japanese, it would be Gude online. Um, yeah, and I was learning Japanese when I was involved with MIA, Refold, all of those communities. And for those that didn't join very early, I'm sort of one of the, like you said, the OGs. I, I was just there since the beginning um, sort of thing, even though I can remember at least like four guys that were before me. But, you know, happens. And you are actually not a native English speaker, right? So in addition to speaking Japanese, uh, English is also sort of an L2 for you. I think you learned it kind of early on. Uh, you had a bit of a unique situation because I think your parents, despite being Spanish speakers, uh, also spoke English. Yeah, so, I mean, L1 is technically Spanish because I did grow up in a Mexican in a Mexican country. I did grow up in Mexico uh, with Spanish-speaking parents uh, from Argentina and Mexico. My accent was never quite Mexican. It was never quite Argentinian. Um, it really it depends on who I'm speaking with, basically. Then, since I was a kid, I mean, everything my parents showed me was English. Um, all the games I played was in, were English. My parents spoke with each other in English. Um, yeah, and at some point, I just picked it up. The story in the family is sort of that thanks to video games, I learned English. Uh, that's sort of the... I keep forgetting it, but that's sort of the myth sort of thing inside of the family. Uh, I'm not sure if it's entirely because of that, but yeah. And then I have been watching anime since I was a kid. So before 2019, I was already at the basic fluency level, just from pure brute force immersion, like hundreds of anime plus I do have that thing where if I'm listening to a language I'm trying to like decode okay they keep saying that word and every time they say that word that subtitle pops up so maybe that that word means that um which is 
perhaps a slower way to do it. You really need a special kind of brain to be able to focus like that the entire time. But yeah, that's more or less how I learned Japanese um, and Spanish and English. And I'm pretty sure I don't sound like native native in any language, to be honest. Uh, but English is the one that I have the widest vocabulary in, for sure. Uh, so you sort of, I guess, came into Refold or MIA already being a believer in immersion because it's sort of how you acquired uh, English, which has now become your primary language. You, you live abroad. You do not live in a Spanish-speaking country. Um, so I imagine that English is sort of your daily driver. Yeah, for sure. I mean, with family, maybe I use Spanish, but otherwise it's English. Even if it has to be a little bit dumbed down because in Germany, they don't have native level English. First rate, it's not even Germany, it's Switzerland, but yeah. Yeah, there's this odd, um, you know, a lot of people from the Germanic countries have really good English, like on an international level but uh, it's still definitely not totally native. And this yeah. applies to the Netherlands. It applies to Sweden. Um, they're very high level, but it's still not quite native-like. But at this point, I don't think they care. You know, I, I don't think that a lot of uh, Western European nations feel the need to sound American or British. They're, they're yeah. okay with that sort of Euroglish. You know, it's good enough for them. And uh, For sure, for sure. I mean... Uh, you just reminded me. It's funny if you can speak a lot of times with um, Germans, sometimes Swiss people. Their English sounds completely British. Like from their perspective, they're like, oh, no, it's not that good, you know, blah, blah, blah. But at least from my non-British English uh, perspective, they sound like if they were from like southern London or something. Um, they have that well, sort, of, sort of accent. It's interesting because in the, the, the refold and MIA community, there's this sort of native speakerism, the idea that the native speaker of the language should be the target like model for the language. And um, I think for a lot of Europeans, that's just not the case. You know, um, I think we're, we're growing into this sort of generation of world Englishes where, you know, people from India and people from Germany are going to speak a German or, or, you know, Indian variant of English. And that's okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, but English I mean, everybody understands it, right? Yeah. Everybody understands Every, it. Everybody and, uh, forgives the German that says make a test instead of, uh, you know, take a test or something like that. And actually take a test is very American. Uh, in some countries they sit a test, uh, like I think in Canada, maybe. So uh, the verb for, that like the verb phrase for taking a test varies among English speaking countries. Do you know what the British so, one is? I don't. I don't. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not make a test though. <laughs> probably not make a test. All right. And one second here. So um, with Japanese, how did you sort of balance everything? Uh, was most of your, your media just Japanese and that's why you didn't have a problem because you also code and you lift and you have a bunch of other things going on outside of just immersing in Japanese. So how did you balance all that? Because I believe you're sort of one of the OGs who went really hard, sort of the embodiment of all Japanese all the time. Okay. Uh, I mean, that, that might be a little bit of a misnomer. I always felt inadequate compared to... Uh, what was his name? This this German dude. He actually lifts a lot. Uh, he did. Um... He, is it Stevie? Yeah, exactly, Stevie. Like that guy's a beast compared to what I was doing. Like I was just having fun. I was just um, like any time I procrastinated, any time I watched anything, any time I basically did anything, I was just consuming uh, Japanese YouTube, basically, or some anime or something like that with subtitles. Um, compared to those guys who were like, okay, today I'm going to read 50 pages and that's what I'm going to do every day, every day, every day. Like, and I wasn't mining that much either. Like, I just didn't get along with Anki. So I was, I was much more of an immersion boy as opposed to like proper MIA refold sort of thing. You know, um, I'll be honest. About two years ago on a day off, I read 80 pages in one day of Filipino. 
which mm-hmm. is sort of my my main L2. And that was sort of like the peak for me. And I think it's wild that there are some people in the Japanese immersion learning community who are reading 80 pages a day, every day for three years. It's crazy, um, man. The dedication is very high and more props to them. But on the flip side, there's nothing wrong with people. You know, I always tell people, hey, you know, you're 35, you've got a wife, you've got kids. It's okay if you only get two hours of immersion in a day because you've got other things to do. And that's okay, too. We don't I have mean, to compare ourselves count, to. Yeah, if you're using them efficient, efficiently and we don't have to compare ourselves. Some people are like some people are 16 or some people are in college and they're kind of like cruising through. They're really good at their classes. They don't have to study very much. It's a lot different than if you're working like a 48, 50 hour week. Yeah. I mean, the, um, I used to be a lot more hardcore about what I recommended. Like, okay, if you're not going to do eight hours a day, like why bother? That was sort of my, my mindset. But at some point it was just, look, you've got to define your goals and your timeline. And if you're going to say, well, in 10 years, I want to be able to read a book, then you don't really need to spend like eight hours a day because that's going to get you there in like one or two years. Instead, just, you know, chill, take it easy, an hour or two a day, do your Anki, and that's about it. Now, to be honest, if you're going to take 10 years, that seems like a little bit of a waste of time for me because that's 10 years of uselessness, but that's just me. I'm, I'm a, I, I did come into it a little bit more with the mindset of there's things I want to do in the language, so I have to learn it relatively soon. And let's segue into that. What are some of the things that you wanted to do in Japanese? And I say wanted because maybe things have changed now. But when you went into Japanese and you decided, okay, I'm, I've been kind of immersing all this time. I'm actually going to buckle down in 2019. Uh, what were some of your original goals? Yeah, so, well, when you get to a basic level of Jap- of Japanese fluency, you realize that English is not a thing. Like, if you're going to live in Japanese society, you have to either know Japanese really well or have somebody that helps you. So basically a crutch or, you know, uh, a poor soul, basically. Um and that can be like a friend, but then, you know, somehow you've got to offer them some value. Otherwise, that doesn't work. Uh, or it could be like a spouse, but then like, you're enti- depending entirely on them for everything. And, and I mean, there are on the person that might not be what they want. I, I've heard the term when I used to be an English teacher, ego bandit. Uh, ego these are, bandit? These are Japanese people who befriend foreigners essentially to practice their English. Yeah. So they do. There are some Japanese people who do derive value from just having someone to to speak English with, um, and sure. that was the term that I heard. I don't know if it's derogatory. It sounds a little bit derogatory, but uh, I'm sure it's a bit derogatory a... in the uh, Japanese learning community for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, the the English teacher community can be a little bit uh, not PC at times. I think. I think they're just salty. <laughs> They're very salty. Uh, very salty. Um, you, used to, you used to want to sort of expatriate to Japan. And I think for a while you were active in some some expat communities, maybe. So you probably ran into quite a lot of uh, disgruntled uh, Teflers in your time. What's a Tefler? Uh, and, uh, teaching, teaching English as a foreign language or okay. turning it into a, an ER noun. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically I wanted to live in Japan and I figured the best way to do that is to be fluent because I don't want to depend on my spouse if I do have a spouse. And if I don't have a spouse, then I need a friend, but I also don't want to do that. So I just had to learn. That was my mindset. And depending on what you want to do, you need different levels. I mean, if you want to go there and, you know, work as a lawyer, that's a different level of Japanese that you require compared to you just want to live there and relax. Um, maybe you work at an international company and then, you know, you, you really just need Japanese for day-to-day interactions. If you want to do what I wanted to do at that point, which was translate complex philosophical texts 
only available in English into Japanese with like a really high level of fidelity, that's a different thing. Like you need to, you know, if, if you have different branches of skills in a particular language, you really need to delve much deeper into the whole conceptual, how does a Japanese person think sort of level of language acquisition as opposed to um, the linguistic structure of, let's say if you're a lawyer, law, where your focus might be much more on, you know, government structure, kanji, which there's a lot of in political uh, and legal stuff. Um, that sort of thing. So I was much more focused on that sort of day-to-day -day plus just like how can I really get into having a Japanese brain sort of thing. Yeah, and you mentioned translating sort of philosophical work. I have found that I've met quite a few very dedicated learners who are interested in that. Um, I've met somebody who is associated with... Um, sort of like the Wycliffe group. They're sort of like a, um, a Protestant Christian group. They're the, I think the same people behind SIL, Summer Institute of Language or something. It's sort of like a, I don't know. I link to their website a lot, even though it's sort of missionary-esque because they just have a lot of good linguistic stuff. You mm -hmm. know, um, they have a, a sort of a, a glossary of linguistics terms. So if like you ever use a linguistics term and somebody doesn't know what it means, you're like, oh, just check this. So... I think that's sort of, in, you know... Uh, Is this a new resource that I'm not aware of? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if it's a new resource, but it's just, I think it's like sil.org. Okay. They have a, a little bit of like a, a guide on like, if somebody says grammatical tone, what does that mean? It's tone where the grammar of the word depends on the tone, not the meaning, sort of like Chinese. So like, you mean if you said go, and you said yeah. go, that would be yeah. like saying go in two different verb tenses. One could mean go one could mean going or went or something. Okay. Um, or like boy, boy, one could be masculine, one could be feminine, where the sort of the grammar of the word changes. Gotcha. Um, you got me confused for a moment because I was like, but those are English words. <laughs> they are English words because I actually oh, okay. don't know any, yeah, I don't know any <laughs> any language that uses Okay, 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 it's, okay. Yeah, it's mostly an African thing. And unfortunately, I don't speak any African languages. Um, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so that can be a very powerful motivator, I think. I've seen quite a few very dedicated learners, people who've been learning for 15 years and get to very high levels because they want to convey information, usually yeah. philosophical or religious. Well, at that point, it, it, it evolves from a hobby into a duty, right? And duty is a much, much more intense calling than hobby. So you mentioned earlier that you don't, you did, or you didn't really use Anki. You're sort of an immersion boy, as you said. What are your thoughts? So I know that you're a long time removed from the current meta, and that's totally fine. What are your thoughts? Yeah, what, what's the current Anki meta? 20 cards a day? It's 10 cards a day. Okay. That's what we officially recommend is 10 cards a day. Um, and Any we new recommend Anki no plugins or anything like that. No, I think that we have some of our one-on-one our -on -one coaching clients using um, the improved stats add-on just because it shows you more stats at a glance, like how well you're doing. You don't have to go into the stats section. Yeah. But in general, no, we keep it simple. Let me see and if I can open up Anki right now. We limit Anki, at least with, with our coaching clients, to like 30 minutes a day max. You know, if, if you want to do more, we always say more Anki is never the answer, more immersion is. Yes. Oh, we got to figure this out. Because I mentioned off screen that half my screen or like quarter of my screen is completely broken. So How it's did that really happen? hard. What happened, to your, what happened to your screen? Did it take uh, a tumble or? No, you know, um, Mac screens are very sensitive. If you put like a crumble in there and then you try to close it and the crumble is too tough then the, the glass cracks. Now, it wasn't a, a crumble. Gotcha. I'm not giving them enough credit, but it was something like that. Let me see if I have it on my phone instead. Yes, I do. But I don't have the plugin I wanted here. But 
at the height of it, or all of my cards, all of them, all of them, it's 1,700 cards. And that's two years worth of immersion? It's not very many. Not very many. Um, It's really not. It it was really like an average of like two or three cards a day. Um, And that was mostly like five, ten cards a day. And then burning out on that. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to add any more for a while. And then that's a month or two of that. And then another five or 10 cards a day for like three weeks, that sort of thing. I don't have the plug in here, but I do remember in all of my cards, I had uh, around 1,700 or like 2,000 kanji, uh, unique kanji. yeah, I mean, the question was basically, what do I think about Anki, right? Like, to what degree does right. it play a role? Yeah, so obviously there are some people who go against the current meta, and they do a whole bunch of Anki. And you're sort of on the opposite side, where you don't totally do zero Anki, but you did very little. You know, yeah. you said two to three cards a day. On average. On average. Um, there were months where I didn't add a single card, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, at some point I figured out, and this advice I've given to others, and eventually they're like, yeah, you were right. Um, doesn't matter if you add 20 cards a day and you can keep up with your cards. Chances of them that you are actually acquiring those cards are on exactly the same level as if you only did two cards a day. Because um, it, 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 at the end of it, it all depends on your immersion. Um, I remember seeing a lot of problems when people were doing too many cards of burnout. And I think I'm unique in the sense that I was completely fine with not making any cards simply because I was immersing so much. Um, while and how much were mind- you immersing at your peak? We're talking about lots of procrastination during work. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. I remember. I I never watched a lot of anime. That was maybe I watched like a season a month, sort of thing. Maybe two seasons if I if I was really into an anime. It was really never a lot. Um, YouTube, though, that was hours per day. Like, if if you could see me chatting on the chat, I was definitely watching something in Japanese. <laughs> okay, it was on that, and uh, the people that remember, I was in chat all the time. <laughs> so it was really a. Four, I would say at least four hours focused per day. Maybe eight, maybe 10, where it wasn't the same quality of focus. But I think more than the amount, it really matters like your mindset and what you're doing during the immersion. Because, I mean, I can stare at a screen for 10 hours. That's no problem. Uh, well, it's actually quite tiring, but to stare or to be list, actually listening to the Japanese and trying to actively make all of these language connections, what you're reading with, um, so like, for example, let's say you're rather simple. You're just uh, watching an anime you're relatively comfortable with, with subtitles. It's one thing to be watching it and then paying attention to the subtitles. It's another thing to be actively like, okay, that kanji is this reading this time. It was different reading this time, this other time. Like actively all the time thinking about the nuance and the frequency of words and the relationship with other parts of the language and all of this stuff. There's different levels of it. And if you're genuinely interested in the language, that's way easier to do. If you're not, it's a skill. So I don't know if you remember the term white noising, which is sort of where people listen with low levels of attention and low levels of comprehension. What and you're sort of, mm, you're sort of arguing. 
you're arguing against that concept, right? You're saying you should well, be. It was the whole thing attention. of background immersion, right? There was this concept of background immersion where you know you're working, you don't understand anything of what's happening, but you know instead of music, you have an anime going on, something like that. The current uh, term for that, we got rid of the term background, we got rid of the term passive. Um, we've not updated the site, but we've been using it internally with clients. We now call it low attention because it's much clearer than what's background, what's passive, what's this, what's that. So that was another thing that I never got. Why are people background so, versus passive? Ne, why is there such confusion about that? I never understood that. <laughs> I um, am not sure. But okay, now that. you're calling it low attention. Right. So internally, what we've been using with clients and the internal roadmap because the, the website, unfortunately, is two years out of date. Um, That's a lot out of date. It's a lot out of date. Um, hopefully, we'll eventually, we'll update it to the new roadmap that we've been using internally with clients, because uh, we've learned a lot in the past two years. You know, uh, We've got these paid clients who they use Toggle, and we get to see all of their data, all of that tracking. We get to monitor their progress. Uh, Joshua, uh, our data scientist, and then we also have a a linguist with a PhD who is working with us. They've designed a vocab test and uh, we're, we're able to get a lot more data now than two Much years more ago. Professionally. Where, yes. And uh, when it started, it was sort of Ethan and Matt's best guess, you know, and they weren't bad guesses, but they were still just guesses, you yeah. know. Um, so internally, we've changed some things. So we call uh, interactive immersion what used to be called intensive. And we call extensive immersion what we used to call free flow. And okay. we call passive low attention. Okay, so repeat them again for me, just top to bottom. So interactive. Interactive, yeah. Extensive. Extensive and low attention. Low attention. And then we call doing stuff like Anki or Taikim, we call that priming. Priming, okay. Okay. Uh... And you asked whether I'm sort of against low attention, basically. Correct. I mean, right now, I'm sort of getting into this thing where even music is probably too distracting if you're trying to do something of value. Um, and they, they have, they've, they've actually made, done studies about this now where it's not does with music. Include, does that Sorry? include music without lyrics? It includes any noise. Any noise, okay. If, if you're focused, particularly if you're trying to focus, any degree of noise at all makes it harder. So like, even like, you know, the, the park noises that, uh, outside or, uh, you know, car uh, driving by or something like that, even that makes it tougher. Um, I seem to remember that study made a difference between you're focused already and you hear something versus you're just starting to get focused and you hear something uh, and how long it took them to, to like reach that focus. So, you know, if you're a programmer and you have low attention immersion in the background, that's just harmful basically for your focus, especially because you internally know that your shoulders should be paying attention to it if you want to get something out of it. So like, you're not focused at all on what you're actually doing. Now, how about uh, there the is... things that are rote? Like Sorry? if you're walking the dog or if you're like chopping vegetables, you know, things that do not require a lot of attention. How do you feel then? You know, the difference between paying attention when you're coding is very different than if you're just sort of you know, hacking and slashing away at vegetables for your, yeah. you know. There's a really good book, Hyperfocus. Mm -hmm. um, and they also make a difference between like, you want to really focus. You, you know, you're doing something that's a little bit uh, not too intensive. It doesn't require a lot of your attention, a little bit automatic. And um, what was the other thing? I feel like there was some something else, but in any case, in the case of, let's say you're chopping vegetables. If I remember correctly, the book basically says that's the best spot 
for when you're trying to figure things out in terms of uh, like you're trying to think about the future, for example, like, okay, what I want to do in the future. And you just have an intention to think about these things. That's the best moment for that sort of thing. If you just sit down and think about those things, then the task itself is a little bit too boring. And so you get way more distracted. It's sort of thinking of your attention as like units. And you really want to be spending as close to 100% as possible. But if the activity doesn't take 100% of those attention units, then you get distracted. So if I sort of, if that's if I remember correctly, <laughs> uh, if I take that sort of understanding and what I remember about doing it myself, I, whenever I was chopping vegetables, I wouldn't watch anything. What I would do is I would listen to music. If I'm watching something, my, inten my attention is constantly on, oh, what's happening? Oh, what's happening? And I'm just completely distracted on both ends. Versus with music, I'm just listening. It was that Japanese music? Uh, not exclusively, but yeah. Okay. I was just listening because to whatever I wanted to listen, basically. One of the uh, most controversial things from back in the day was, uh, quote, music is not immersion. And that, that yeah. was sort of a thing that ticked a lot of people off uh, a couple of years ago. There's nuance to it, right? But There is nuance to it. And I will say that Ethan himself has uh, personally, with a one-on-one -on -one client, got them immersing in music intensively doing lookups the same way you would with, you know, Yomi Chan or something um, because he's a music guy. He loves music. He eats, breathes and sleep music. He finds it entertaining and compelling. And uh, it was sort of the ticket to getting him to immerse at all because he wasn't the type of guy to sit down and watch a series or binge watch YouTube, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. With music, I seem to remember the whole argument against it was the pitch accent is wrong. And okay. the, but let me put a pin on that for a moment. Uh, on low attention, a, a meta point I, I remember was discussed in the past was if you put immersion in the background and you focus on something else, you're actively signaling to your language processing model, whatever the, the terminology is, Japanese isn't important when it's completely the opposite of what you want to achieve, which is make it so present that your brain thinks it is important. Um, but if you actually have things to do and you put it in the background, then you're signaling the opposite and you're getting distracted. So that's definitely something to think about, whether it resonates with the person. For me, I'm not sure if the mind works like that, but I can definitely see a point of you're basically constantly, you know, getting annoyed at Japanese when you do it like that. And that's the opposite of what you want to achieve. Um, then, okay, back to the, mu to the um, what was it? To music and pitch accent. Let me think about why would I not recommend to immerse in music? Uh, there's some arguments. For example, there's if there is a, a narrative, it's really short. I mean, the longest songs are like 10 minutes, right? Um, versus a series where it's hundreds of minutes, if you're lucky, hundreds of hours, at least dozens of hours of the same narrative, the same characters, um, the other thing is with series, even though it's all fantasy usually or um, fiction, it still abides by the cultural rules of the particular culture that is producing that. So if you watch 20 animes, at some point you figure out people don't wear shoes. At some point you figure out there's a hierarchy between people in, in 
the Japanese society. At some point, you figure out that um, there's different character archetypes, and how they speak is different. Um, that's a that's an I'll put a pin on that as well because that's uh, actually let me make note of that as one of my favorite points of Japanese. Uh, if you have a pen that's working, it. could you make that note for me? Uh, you know what? I'll keep I'll keep it in the back of my head. Um, I do not, but I can take that as a take that as a note. Yes, please do. Um, okay, you have all of those things versus with music. It's the context of the song, and that's it. And music, if it's good music, it tends to be poetry as well. It tends to rhyme and all that sort of thing. They take a lot more liberties with how, what kind of world they paint. That's one thing. They take a lot more liberties with their use of the language because it's poetry. And that's the whole point of poetry, to be creative with the language. It can be harder to tell who's talking if there's multiple characters in the song. Now, if there's two singers, that's much clearer, of course, or three singers or whatever. But if it's one person singing both, it can be difficult. And then sometimes you can only really tell the difference at a when you're fluent, where you can tell, oh, it's they're speaking different, therefore it's a different character. Um, No, I will say with Filipino, yeah. music is actually a great way to expand your vocab. Uh, that is one point. Because... I, there were a lot of, there is a lot of vocab that I acquired through music. Um, not particularly the kanji for it, but the, the word itself. I do remember a lot of times I would hear a word in, in a song. I thought that's the only word I don't know. Let me look it up. And then it becomes relevant in some other situation or the inverse, where I learned it in a different uh, thing. But now I have a really good example in this song. It, uh, there is a point to be said for music, which is that you really get in contact a lot more with the emotional side of the language. With how the natives use music and let's say a creative use of the language to communicate emotion. Of course, there's a lot more context where you can do that, but that is a, a particular point about music, assuming you're not listening to some low-quality pop stuff. I think there's one of the assumptions that Matt might have had was that um, music was too poetic, but sometimes stuff can be poetic that's not music, you know? Uh, for example, in a historical piece, like, you know, sort of historical drama in, in say, Spanish. To, to show that it's old-timey, they might say fermosa instead of hermosa to sort of show it like uh, like Don Quixote. You know, in Don okay. Quixote, you see you see him use the word fermosa, probably okay. because he was an old-timey knight, uh, you know, and sort of like... And a really old book as well. It's also an old book, yeah. But uh, maybe that wasn't the best example. But the point is, is that... But I do get your point. It, it, it does, it definitely does not reflect common daily use language. That's for right. Sure. And I think one of the assumptions is that media does, but sometimes I think media doesn't. You know, if you're watching a, a historical drama and they start saying, oh, thou art quite handsome, you know, they are, thou art quite comely or something, that's not exactly how we talk today either. I was going to say, I'm not sure if they used handsome back in the day, you know? They might but... have said comely or something. I'm not really sure. I don't speak early modern English, unfortunately. Me neither. <laughs> I just know that handsome sounds too modern. Sounds too modern. Um, yeah, I mean, with music as well, it, I mean, Matt, in 2019, that's when Matt started getting into the whole pitch accent stuff. Well, sorry. That's when he started preaching about it. Um, he had like a year or two before that where he uh, did a lot of the groundwork to acquire it. Um, 
so a lot of his focus of don't mess this up was don't acquire the wrong pitch accent. Music is very liberal with pitch accent. And I do not mean that lightly. They're very liberal. Um, to a, to a non-native, it doesn't really matter because at, usually anyway, they're not using pitch accent to recognize words. To a native, they have what the non-native does have, which is the capability to recognize words without pitch accent. That a native can, can easily tell, oh, they took a liberty there. Oh, they took a liberty there as well. They make this longer than it normally would be, or they made it shoulder, shorter than it normally would be. Um, that's not pitch accent, that's just normal pronunciation. Um, I feel like you just said a point that was interesting. Oh yeah, um, whether media uses common parlance or not, the common daily language or not. No, it does not. I mean, that's sort of one of the memes against immersion, right? It's like, if you're immersed with anime, you're gonna sound like an anime character. Um, that that ties back to what you mentioned earlier, which is uh, Japanese media has this stylized, like the stylized character archetype, to where like a good example is the old guy says washi, even though in real life old men don't actually say washi, but that's yeah. sort of their way of letting you know that the speaker is an old man. That's that, yeah, exactly. It's um, and you know, if 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 we thought like about tropes, it in English, it would be like the. The redneck always says, gosh, darn it, you know, it's like, I don't know if rednecks actually say that that often, you know? <laughs> oh, I can't hear you anymore for some reason. Oh, I think I hear rednecks say dang more than darn. I'll, I'll be honest, because I'm from a rural area. Right. I am a, a campesino, as they say. So uh, but that, that's my image of rednecks is gosh, darn it. And, you know, tropes, that, might, that right? might be from like squirrel. Uh, what's what's the squirrel from SpongeBob? Sandy, Sandy, or mm. something like that. But yeah, Japanese has this way more than English. It's it, and it is one of my favorite parts of Japanese, which is what's the best way to say it. Now we're getting into whole meta subject, uh, but it is one of my favorite parts of Japanese. Um, the bandwidth you have to express yourself in Japanese, to express what kind of person you are, who you are, who you hang out with, who you don't hang out with, all of that, just by how you say a sentence is way more, is way superior than what English has. Um, even just on the, you know, you say washi and okay, so you're either an old dude or you're playing an old character or you, you know, you're just uh, making fun of something. In English, you have I, and that's about it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think there's many creative uh, self pronouns you could use in English, um, even if you really try hard. You have third, you have like, third person. I feel like the only alternative to, to I is either like the royal we for like kings and queens. Yeah. Um, no, we do not approve. Um, and there is this sort of formal pronoun one. One you know, does not. One does not. Although that's and, not usually referring to yourself, right? Right. I guess not. Uh, um, and you do have, the other alternative you do have is referring to yourself in third person. And actually, Japanese is known for having uh, pronouns. We'll, we'll call them pronouns. Yeah, being sort they're of not an pronouns, open but class. We'll, we'll call them pronouns. Where they take words and they essentially take normal nouns and make them into pronouns. And it's a very open class. Pronouns are constantly changing. Uh, you know, uh, we sort of had when a lot of Japanese textbooks were formalized in the 50s and stuff, Watashi was sort of like the normal thing. But over time, it's become a little bit a feminine noun, I think, for a lot of modern Japanese speakers. Um, and they have a very wide array of pronouns. And this is something that may shock people, but English and a lot of European languages are very narrow. 
So um, Vietnamese is another language with a whole bunch of different pronouns that kind of express the relationship between the speaker and the listener. Okay. Um, uh, Indonesian and Malay, instead of having a to an usted type distinction, uh, they do it with the, well, they can do it with the, the word for you, but they can also do it with the word for I. So uh, the, the sort of the formal word for I is saya, that's sort of being respectful. Uh, if you're sort of close, it's aku. And if you're sort of like a gangster and you're being really rough, you would say gui, which comes from Chinese. They borrowed a Chinese word. Uh, so they got three different sort of formality levels in Indonesian, and it's for saying the word I. Yeah. And uh, you're right that English does not have that, but it's, it's more common cross-linguistically than you would think. Um, yeah, I mean, Japanese has that, and uh, my, my inner immersion boy has to correct you. Watashi, yeah, it's feminine. Usually it's atashi. But uh, watashi is just the formal self-pronoun, so to speak. In a, in, a, in a situation where you're speaking keigo, you're probably going to use watashi or watakushi. Yeah, I read in a linguistics paper that the word wa is the only like native proto-Japonic pronoun still in use in Japanese. And wa, I don't think it's very common in modern Japanese. Wa, you uh, mean like wade? It's the, the wa part of wade, yeah. Okay. Um, and that descends directly from proto-Japonic. But we're getting, I'm out of my wheelhouse here. I don't know much <laughs> about it. I, I, there is oh. a linguistics paper out there talking about Japanese pronouns. Uh, there, and... there is a point here to make about um, grammar. I never pushed for grammar. Um, my thing did was you, always... Did you do Taikim at all? Uh, no, I definitely did not. Um, I mean, so much so that I had to remember what, what that was. <laughs> um, what I always said, what I always recommended personally, open the Wikipedia page for grammar, Japanese grammar, read it, immerse, and then come back to it like a month later and read it again. Some things will make more sense. Immerse. Read it again a month later. Like, that is literally all of the grammar I had. That, that cool Wikipedia page, which, to be honest, is actually quite high quality. It's really good. I agree. The Wikipedia page on Tagalog grammar is also very good. Good. So, But it's not trying to teach you the grammar. It's just saying this is how it is. Like They use this thing uh, for this usage, and sometimes you can use it in this other way as well. But that's it. It's not really trying to teach you how to use the language which is ideal for an immersion-based approach. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of doing grammar lookups. So treating something as like a, a, sort of like doing a dictionary lookup on a word. So you're like, okay, what does the, this ending mean? Or what's going on here? And sort of treating it the same way you would treat looking up a word in the dictionary. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of lookups in general. Um, that's why I learned English. Like I would just read a text. If there was a word I didn't know, I, I, I looked it up. That was the whole thing. Um, and if a sentence didn't, I, I went a little bit more extreme. If a sentence didn't make sense and I couldn't figure out which word I didn't understand, because the assumption was if I don't understand the sentence, it's because I don't understand a word. I would look up each, each and every word, look through all the definitions and piece it together until the sentence made sense. And when the sentence made sense, boom, now I know like the, all of those words are now definitely part of my repertoire of words I generally speaking understand, um, which is not the immersion way, but at the same time, I'm going to continue reading the text anyway for the next two hours. So it works out. <laughs> the, the amount of... And that's another point that I, uh, that's interesting. But natives are oh. usually not very well aware of their own language. 
Right. So that there's something called implicit and explicit knowledge. Yes. Um, and when it comes un- to and unconscious as well. Right. When it comes to language and like language instruction, I used to be an English teacher, and before I became an English as a, as a second language speaker. I did not know much about English grammar and well, I knew about it, but it was all implicit knowledge. I just knew how to do it. I knew how to use it, but I couldn't explain it. Right. Um, And I totally agree that unless they have studied JSL or something to be a teacher, uh, they probably do not know how to explain it. And uh, that's true for pretty much any native, I think of any language. Let's, let's step away from grammar for a moment. How many people have looked up, tree in the dictionary i have no clue i mean i've looked it up right i've looked it up as well how many people have looked up concept how many people have looked up um, cat you know natives tend to never look up words at all in their own language you know um I occasionally run into jargon, what we would call very narrow domain stuff. And I've done yeah. lookups. My usual go-to example is uh, back at my AE Kiowa, I had a student come to me and he brought me some associated press, sort of like very high level news vocabulary stuff. He said, I want to read this article. I can't read high level news articles. And the article he brought me was about lignite. And I had no clue what lignite was. It's brown coal. It's a low quality coal. Uh, as opposed to like a black coal. I, I didn't even know I, there I, were grades to coal. Yeah, well, I looked it up. So I definitely don't bat, bat an eye at doing a lookup in my native language when it happens. Yeah. Um, the um, I remember uh, an eye-opening experience I had. Let me see if I can actually remember the two words. It was the difference between... Um, Evidently and apparently. And I could not explain the difference between those. If there right, is but one. you know there's a difference. I'm sure I would in, in context if someone used one in a way that I would not use it. But I will say with English, over the years, I've gotten very cautious about giving feedback because it's such an international language. Um, sometimes what's valid for me is not valid for another person and yeah. vice versa. So for me saying, oh, Greg, you might ought to go to the store, saying might and ought next to each other is perfectly fine in the South uh, where I'm from. But if you go to like England or if you go to another part of the US, that doesn't sound right. Um, Australians yeah. often say, how are you going? Whereas an American, I would say, how is it going? And how are you going just sounds unidiomatic to me. So I've gotten very cautious about even attempting to, to, to be a, a source of truth with English because there's just so many variants. I can't account for all of them. Yeah. I just became an expert at using the dictionary as a source of truth. <laughs> um, and this was yeah. an in- English native English American speaker, American English speaker. They did not know there was a difference between apparently and evidently. And we got into a long discussion. I mean, in short, evidently means the thing is obvious because it shows itself to be obvious. You can see it right there. Apparently means that according to your knowledge or according to what you've been told or according to something else, such and such is the case. Okay. Uh, and that and tracks I'm, now that I think about it. Evidently, it, it's self-evident it, that is the case, whereas apparently would be it appears to be uh, exactly. according to, you know, what I think. Now, Greg, I, I want to stop here. Uh, well, not stop here, but I want to pause because we are yeah. nearing uh, the end. And I did have one question for you. Yeah. You came back to the community very briefly because you kind of decided that you were going to learn German since you've been living in a German speaking area. And I think you, you stopped, but do you have any plans going forward or are you just going to keep taking 
your English, your Spanish, and your Japanese to the next level? Are, are you going to go down this sort of polyglot path, or are you staying steadfast? I, I do want to know. Uh, German. I see no use for it, and I currently have no passion for it. Okay. So I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, my wife. <laughs> You're uh, married. I'm married. Uh, she, she is interested in German. So I get to go through that, you know, coaching her through the whole thing. Um, but yeah, for personal use, I don't have particular interest in German. Anytime I listen to it, I'm, you know, I'm immersing, basically. I'm, uh, what did you guys, you know, I'm very actively, with all my attention there, listening to it, trying to make all those connections. And I can string some sentences together, but I would need a lot more vocabulary to be able to make any real use of it. And I would need to actually study the grammar. Um, it has some cases that English does not have and Japanese does not have. So, yeah. Okay. So you're not currently planning on pursuing other languages? Not particularly. Probably I need to get good at Spanish next. Okay. And that's totally valid. I think that taking your Japanese, your English, and your Spanish to the best that you can is totally fine. You know, there's this sort of... Um, internet magic around polyglots who speak 10 languages very poorly, but sometimes just speaking three at a very high level where you can translate philosophical works or religious works. Um, there's something to be said for that. I mean, uh, what um, Katsumoto, Ajet OG, the OG. The OG. He, he had a, an analogy, right? Do you want five knives that can't cut, or do you want one knife that can really cut? I would imagine That's... you would want one knife that can cut. Right. Now, I have one half blunt knife, a really sharp knife, and a sharp knife. But that's still better than 10, 10 knives that can't cut. Okay, so I do have a question. What would you call a straw, like a drinking straw in Spanish? Uh, popote. Oh, okay. Oh, what they? All right. Cool. All right. You can put that in your uh, in your data set. Yeah, I was just wondering because if you would use the Mexican word for it or not, if you were going to say like pajilla or pajita or something, but you said popote. So pajita means something very different for me. <laughs> okay, understood. Um, Gred, before we go. We are at time, but what is your 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 parting advice here? What are, what are your words of wisdom for the listeners? If you want them to have one takeaway uh, from you, what would it be? Oh boy, there's a lot. Uh, I guess in terms of language learning, as opposed to Japanese specific. Oh, Japanese specific, really quick. Anybody that tells you that uh, pitch accent doesn't matter, they don't know pitch accent. Um, that was that on Japanese. The in general language learning, just make it a game, and the game is to figure it out. That's the game. You're not, and you really want to trust yourself because even if the book tells you that X thing is right and Y thing is wrong, and you think the opposite. What the book says doesn't matter at all. What you've acquired so far is what matters. Now, do take it into account. And if there's really a thing that you're like, but the book says this, and I understand this, just take it into account and pay attention every time you listen, to, you hear that, or you read that, and really try to think which one makes more sense. Maybe you're right. Maybe the book is right. But that's how you figure it out. It's always a process of coming up with a theory about what it is and then proving or disproving that theory. I think there's, there's a sort of a fear of being wrong. And that's, that can be argued. Especially as adults. Schools. 
that's probably due to schools being because there's a very clear you're right, you're wrong. And if you're wrong, you messed up. <laughs> um, you can just put the bleep on it, you know. Yeah, I'll talk to Jafar. We, we are lucky enough to have a full-time video guy. Actually, he's your neighbor. Uh, he, 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 he is I, For a moment, your... I was like, literally? No. <laughs> Not literally, but he's in the same area as you, I think. Um, there's about... Yeah, you mean Zurich? I mean Zurich, yeah. Hey. Uh, I, wasn't, I didn't want to accidentally like dox you or anything, but yes. No, no, but uh, now I'm doxing him, so. Oh, well, sorry, Jafar. Um, <laughs> Edit it out. Um, but yeah, Gred, thank you so much for being on. This is another podcast where I feel like an hour was not enough time. I feel yeah, like I, I can do five you. hours if you want. Yeah, it was great having you. And uh, maybe there'll be a part two if you, your schedule allows for it. I would love to follow up because I think you've got more to say. Uh, people know me for that, yes. <laughs> All right. And guys, I'll see you next week. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Refold Podcast. If you're watching the live premiere, you're in luck. Right as it ends, we have an after party over on the Refold Central Discord server. Come join us by using refold.link forward slash join and chat about the episode. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, you can find older episodes to listen to on YouTube and Spotify. Let us know what you thought about the video by liking and leaving a comment below. Do you have suggestions for upcoming visitors or requests for particular topics? Please feel free to reach out to me on Discord at georgepig hashtag 5413 or via email at clayton at refold.la. Thank you all for watching and or listening, and I'll see you next week.